Wonderful. So let's welcome back Chip and Sarah and Ken. Just gonna turn it over to you guys. Thank you, Melissa, and hello, everyone. Uh, it's great to be with you, and uh, I think we can say happy afternoon. Um, well, man, I'm in Denver, so um, happy day, right? That's what we have to say. Um, listen, today we're, our, our title is The 12 Fails, and it's, uh, these are typical misses that we see people, um, people do in their job search process that makes the process more difficult and longer and more frustrating than it needs to be. Uh, but just to do a quick before we'll just do a quick rewind and cover uh, some of the ground, uh, just review some of the ground that we've covered in this series. We started out uh, just talking about what is the nature of vocation, what is the nature of calling. It's an invitation and it's a summons uh, that God invites us and gives us a responsibility to do certain kinds of work in the world. And it all flows from first a primary calling to Christ to a full surrendered relationship with him. And then it plays out in secondary callings in our work and our family and our church, spiritual community or church and in to our neighbors. So there's we talk about primary calling to Christ. It's to a who it's a who, not a what. And then all these secondary callings and work is one of those. And it's of an evolving dynamic process. We tried to say all work doesn't matter what sector it is can be a calling from God can be a vocation. It also can be destructive and, uh, so we talked, spent some time on that. Then the next week we talked about meaning in our work and this continuum of our experience, which goes from chore work to, I call it treehouse work because I used to love to build treehouses when I was a kid. And it's just where we've experienced flow. And so that's one axis. And the other axis of the meaning of work uh, content was this idea, do we approach our work from a secular frame or a sacred frame? And a secular frame, it's for me and by me. If it's sacred, I'm doing my work for God with God and for others. And so then last week we talked about the, com the components that can take your vocational search journey from being uh, a, scary, a scary proposition to an exciting adventure. And we looked at uh, the components of your real you and the real world and how they match together and then how we get, how the gospel kind of provides a safe vehicle for us to go on that journey. So we covered that ground last week. And this week is really practical. I mean, this is nuts and bolts. Um, we're not going to quote scripture verses today. We're just going to go through unhelpful practices that we see people engaging in the job search. Um, we counteract these with scriptural principles in, our, uh, in the career navigator experience, which is how we help people navigate from where they are to where they need to be. They're next in their career. So uh, we're happy to answer questions about that. But as we jump in, we just wanted to give a, a we wanted you to chat in and answer to this question. What are your strengths as a job seeker? And Sarah's going to paste some options in there and just chat back. Like, which one do you think is your strongest suit as a job seeker? Give you just a minute to respond. Alan says interviewing. Thank you, Alan. You've been here every week, Alan. You get the free, you get a, somebody punches frequent flyer card. He gets a free cat, free cappuccino next time. Um, rather, resume for Bethann, networking, interviewing. Interviewing. It's good. It's a big part of this. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, if you have other questions as we go or comments, uh, there's, um, fresh perspective. That sounds really good. Just chat them in and we're going to jump in. So 
Um, Ken, let's look at our, yeah, look at our chart and let's just begin with the first fail. The first fail um, is what we call running the wrong race. And what do we mean by that? We mean, we, what we see very, very frequently is people think that getting from your current job to your next job is going to be quick and easy. And so you're thinking sprint, and then it ends up being some form of a marathon or Sarah, I think you have another word you like to say for what it can come sometimes become. Um, yeah, the challenge is it, it's not always a sprint um, yeah. and it's not always a, a marathon. And sometimes it turns into an ultra marathon. Um, so the challenge is you train differently for a sprint than you do for a marathon. Um, and if you train for the wrong race, you're in trouble. And so um, we think it's really important to set realistic goals so that you stay on track. And when we work with job seekers, that's exactly what we do. We help them think about their runway or the track they have ahead of them so that they can make it, so that they can run um, the race for them. Yeah, it's really good. And, and, you know, depending on where you are in your career stage, what industry you're in and so forth, um, you can be prepared. You need to prepare yourself that for a nine to 18 month process. Um, the older you are, uh, the more distance there is between what you're shooting for and what you're currently doing, uh, the longer you should plan. And um, yeah, there's those stories where you meet somebody, I guess there used to be these stories before COVID where you meet somebody in a taxi cab or remember when we used to take taxi cabs, right? <laughs> you know, like, you know, like those types of spontaneous things happen and certainly God can do anything he wants and he can intervene really amazingly and very obviously in our process. But we think it's foolish to plan on that, to make that your plan, and that you should be you should be considering a longer term journey. And so, running the wrong race is fail number one. Fail number two is somewhat related to this, but it's called time starvation, and it really involves just not spending the kind of hours you need to first discern where you need to go, and then go through a, a wise process, a wisdom laden process to to land that job. And this happens, uh, you know, people come to us, um, some people come to us because they really, they really need someone to walk alongside them and help them discern where they should be headed. And that's been, that's been a fundamental struggle. And we're very, you know, we're totally ready to do that. Uh, but we also find that some people come to us because the things that they've tried to get the job they think they want have not worked. And it's very normal in some of those opening conversations with a person in that place to find out, that they're just not spending much time on this. They're spending four to five hours a week on job search, on exploration, and it's just not enough to grow momentum. And it's not, it just, it doesn't, they're just stretching this out. They're, they're stretching their, they're turning their nine months into what could end up being years. So this is fueled by an assumption. Say something about this assumption, Sarah. Yeah, we call this the quick and easy assumption. So we found that a lot of job seekers underestimate how challenging it's going to be to actually land that job that fits their skills and provides them with professional growth opportunities. So in this economy, um, it's, it just takes longer. It just takes a little bit longer. We hear those stories of somebody's easy pivot and we think that's the norm, but that's, that's not the norm. That's the unicorn experience. Um, so we really think it's important for people to be prepared for the marathon to turn into an ultra marathon. 
because being prepared for the long haul, it's just, it's essential. So whether it's thinking through your finances so that you can, you can maintain um, the job search process or thinking about your um, emotional and mental state, your ability to stay in the role that you're currently in, um, how long can you stay, especially if it's a toxic environment? Those are some of the things uh, we want to help people think through so that they're ready and not surprised by um, how long it takes. That's really good. Number three, uh, number fail number three is poor organization. And you know, another question that we'll ask somebody who's at the beginning at the front end with us is, so how are you tracking your you know job op- options, job openings that you've applied for? How are you you know, how are you keeping a record of your networking and who you talk to about what? And again, um, with people who are struggling, it's crickets. You know, there's, they don't have a system. And, you know, some of you, I'm sure, are spreadsheet geeks. And, you know, there's, there's no task too small where a spreadsheet just isn't the right solution. And others, you, you probably have an allergic reaction to all those cells and, and all those kinds of things. But here, here's the bigger idea. All of us organize ourselves for what's important. Yes, we do. We just, we just find a way to do it, whether it could be anything, you know, it could be, you know, I'm going to game with my buddies and we're all going to get on our headsets and we're going to like, you find a way to make that happen. You show up and everything works. And so, you know, we think that if, if this is important, you'll find it, you have to have a system for organizing it and you find a system that works for you. Yeah, and, and this fail really follows from the other two fails, doesn't it? Because if you think it's going to be quick and easy and it's like no big deal and you don't need to spend a lot of time on it, well, then you don't need a system, do you? You can keep it all in short-term memory. You just remember the two people you talk to and the one job you're applying for and you're done, right? Why do I need a system? But what you realize is when it's more complicated, your short-term memory starts to fail and you need to start writing things down. You need to start keeping track. You need a database or a spreadsheet or some kind of contact system, whatever it is. And we, we tell people, career navigators, it really doesn't matter what the system is as long as it's working for you. The right. test is if you need to look something up or you need to remind yourself or you need to keep track of something, you know, can you quickly and easily find the information you need? And can you be prepared for that next interaction? That's the true test. And you need that system because you have to follow through. And that becomes one of the key, key success factors in a, just a generic process. So um, poor organization is number three. Number four is what we call solo-itis. Solo-itis. And this, this basically means that you, when it, you decide, I'm going to navigate, I'm going to power my way through this on my own. And it's, it's you know, the rugged individualism that's embedded in Western culture applied to your job search. And it's, um, I mean, it's completely contrary to the way we're described in scripture as parts of a body. And we need each other. We all need each other that we're community and we're supposed to support each other. And it's, it's also, there's a lot of psychology that would say that it's a, it's, it's a bad choice, but, um, we really urge people to figure you like, let you, the people who do well at job search lean in, to their network and their community. They lean into others. And I, I mean, some of you, I mean, I don't know if you remember Fonzie, but he could never say he was sorry, he could never ask for help. And that's the way a lot of us are. Like, we just can't get those words out. Could you help me with this? Sarah, what do you think? Well, I think of what John Donne said, no man is an island. Um, and there is no I in job search, 
right? So it's all about team. And when you do this job search thing on your own, you lose the power of IQ compounding. So the other people who are involved in your search, they make you smarter. They can make connections for you. They can highlight things. They can speak truth to you when you're not believing the truth. So it's really important that that we bring job search out into the light. Too many people um, enshrine it in shame. The fact that they're looking for something different. It's hidden. It's a secret. And you know what grows in the darkness? Mushrooms and fungus, (laughs) right? (laughs) We want to bring the light. We want to bring light and community and hope into job search. Well, sir, I like mushrooms, but I do not like fungus. So (laughs) I appreciate appreciate that analogy. All right. An underwhelming resume is number five. And, you know, if you get into this, you're going to make multiple drafts of your resume. We know that. Um, but here's some, what do we mean by underwhelming? Um, you don't use the language of the job description or the industry that you're pursuing. Um, like it, if you read people's descri- like position descriptions, some of the you know, annual reports and other official communication in that, whatever world you're trying to get into, it, you're not using the same terms. Um, I had a client that was trying to segue from a, a Christian ministry job into a business job. And he listed spiritual formation on his resume. I mean, you, you guys know what spiritual formation is, but you're part of Faith and Work Chicago. But most business people have absolutely no idea what that is. And so it's certainly not a key accomplishment that helps you on your resume. Another thing that we would, we, we would we really see frequently, and it's something we always have to push our clients to do, is to stop spending so much real, stop consuming so much of their resume real estate on descriptions of responsibilities that they've had and spend a lot, invest a lot more of that space into articulating results that they've produced. And anytime that those results can be quantified to show the scope and the scale and the impact that they've had, it's much, much, much more compelling. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people don't realize they can tailor their resume to the job. So if you're applying in different industries or different companies, even different positions, whatever it is, feel free to kind of bring out the parts of your experience that really do apply. That's what they care about anyway. Um, we do have a template for people to use. Some people are like, I don't know where to start, or I haven't, t- I haven't dusted off my resume in 20 years. You know, what's a good resume look like these days? So we provide a template and a plan. Not everyone's uh, resume is exactly the same, of course, but just with some good starting points so that you can make sure that the resume really puts your value out there, not just a list of jobs that you've had. Yeah, your resume is going to get six to 10 seconds in front of a hiring manager. And the more quickly that you can show them that you have the capabilities that they're looking for and the experience that indicates you would do well in the pro- solving the problem they're trying to solve by hiring this position, uh, the better you do. It's about, that's about communication. Number six is skipping information interviews. So we think in the ideal job search, there's two different kinds of interviews. There's interviewing for jobs, for open positions that you're qualified for. And there's also interviewing for information. And we think the information needs to precede the job interview because it's through this kind of a conversation where you learn what's happening in an industry, what's happening in a, com- a, com- a company, uh, what a specific role is like that might be new for you. You educate yourself by getting firsthand information from people on the ground. 
And some folks we see, especially if they've lost a job, uh, you know, they want to get right out there and they just fire off a bunch of applications on Indeed. And often they don't find they get much of a response. It's pretty normal. Uh, and even if they do, they can they can find themselves find themselves in a going from the frying pan to the fire situation because they didn't, you know, they I got to get out of this company because, you know, the culture's toxic or this or that. And what they really haven't discovered is, well, that's pretty normal in that industry. And and if they did some more information interviews, they would find out what they could realistically expect. And maybe there's some, you know, outlying firms or organizations where the culture would be more of a fit. So, yeah, we, we this is one of those uh, slow down to go fast types of things, information interviews. Yeah. And at first, Chip, it sounds like a real step backwards. You know, if you're that aggressive, desperate and panicking job seeker that just has to land something now, oh, no, I lost my job. How long can I do this? You're not thinking, let's slow down and do some information interviews. You're, you're thinking, I got to get a job today. But what you don't realize is it's not a step back. It's a step up. Because when you gain perspective through these interviews about what's going on in the industry and what's changed since COVID or what is, is how technology is playing a role or whatever it is, you start coming to the job interview with all this insight and with all this data and having surveyed the field and know what collect the wisdom from these interviews for, from other folks that are in the industry, you just become a much smarter candidate, the kind of person that they really want to hire and you're making the most of the opportunity. Yeah. I was talking to a client yesterday and he's in a, he's trying to transition and physical therapy is one of the areas that he's interested in. And we were just we're talking about, well, how's that changed in the last 14 months? And, and we, we got online and we started looking at a couple of physical therapy places and they were advertising telemedicine. And he's interested in being a physical therapy assistant, like the person that gets you all set up and you know, puts on the heat or the stim or whatever, you know, gets you all ready for the, for the, for the certified doctor or tech. And we just said, well, we don't really know what's happening with physical therapy assistants now. And we don't even know where that's going to go because some of these some, some practices may really use a lot more telemedicine in the future. And so, you know, you want to check that out before you spend several years getting a certification or a degree uh, when there may not be any opportunity there. So that was, that's just an example of, like you said, it brings you up to another level, makes you conversant what's happening. Um, and it, and it, it leads us into our next fail, which is lowballing your network because it's your network, the people you're connected with um, that really have the intellect, they have the intel you need to be able to navigate forward um, with clarity. And um, what we see frequently is that I know one of you said you like you love networking. Um, Nicole did so. Maybe maybe you should be you should be you should be highlighting this one, Nicole. But uh, what we what we see a lot is that people first of all they have an allergic reaction to this idea of networking. I don't have to talk to people. I don't have to ask people for help. I feel I'm very uncomfortable doing that. And secondly, they really lowball or have a very inadequate estimate of the number of people they need to talk to to get the information they need. And they typically know three or four people who they think can help them with their job search or transition. They either burn through them really quickly or find that some of, you know, they have four people and only two of them get back to them. And then they just don't know what to do. And we think you need, you need to shoot for at least 50 contacts to really get a feel for what's happening in a space and a hundreds even better. And we know that sounds overwhelming and 
uh, we say it on purpose. Sarah, are we being mean? We're not being mean. And those people also need to be connected to you on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, because LinkedIn, that's the place to grow your network. So all these networking opportunities that you haven't had <laughs> or that you have had in the past, we want them to show up on LinkedIn. So I had a client I was working with who had um, 15 LinkedIn connections. Well, that just doesn't look good to potential hiring managers because everybody's going to look at your resume and your LinkedIn profile. Um, and so it didn't set her up well to begin to do information interviews and to learn about other industries. So we worked really hard on growing her network, her LinkedIn network and her, her connections so that she had people to ask, who do you know in this industry? Who do you know who does a job like this? I want to learn more about it. Because the reality is before COVID hit in, hit set in, most jobs were in that hidden job market. 70 to 80% of jobs were found not on uh, Indeed or Classdoor. They were found through those networks of people. And so when you only have a few contacts, it's like you're leaning on the fairy job mother to just give you a job, right? You're waiting for somebody to come with their magic wand. And what we want to help people do is to build up their network and then find ways to help and serve your network. That these people aren't the, the only time you go to them isn't when you're looking for a job. And what we've seen is that economic downturns and global pandemics aren't hindrances to growing your networks. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we had a webinar on how to do networking in the COVID age. So I think this lowballing your network is really closely tied to job fail number eight. Chip, why don't you tell us about about that. Yeah, that's saying no for people. And it's it's just saying, I can never talk to them. Um, I would never ask them that. They're too busy. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, frankly, it's like, we had an awkward conversation 15 years ago, and I'm not sure I can circle back with them. Um, and we're just, we're saying no, instead of letting them say no. And, you know, when we think about both of these ideas of networking and saying no for people, it all comes to like, are we going to be intentional and strategic about asking for help or not. And I think of many instances, I mean, so we could, we could hammer this from a professional career counselor perspective and all these statistics. And we can also look at it from a biblical perspective as well, because there's a number of critical junctions in the scripture and in the narrative of scripture where somebody had to go find the right person and they asked for help. And I'm thinking of Nehemiah asking the king or mm -hmm. Abraham's servant finding a, a wife for Isaac. I mean, there's, and then it happens over and you know, Jesus telling the disciples where to find the donkey to ride on on Passover. Like it's all networking. It's all connecting. It's all not saying no for people and asking for help. And it happens over and over and over and over again. And, um, you know, what is it? Is it our, you know, we, is it our shyness? Is it our pride? I'm not really sure. Um, but we shouldn't say no for people. We should let them say no for themselves. Well, Chip, I often think we're, we're asking the wrong question when we ask for help. Like mm -hmm. Too often we go for it and say, I need a job. Will you give my resume to people? Well, that, that feels a little bit forward. That's a hard thing for some people to say. It's like going on the first date and asking someone to marry you. Like, whoa, it's a little aggressive. It's a little much. So what we want to do is so that you, we want you to ask people a question they want to say yes to. And that's often, can you give me 15 or 20 minutes to tell me more about your industry or tell me how you got into your role? I'm interested in something similar. 
And that it helps build your confidence meeting with somebody. It helps you learn about the industry. So you're leveling up your information, your knowledge. Um, and it helps you realize if you've got the competency and it honors somebody who's in, in that space. And that's going to help you figure out if that's a network or, or an industry you want to go to. Now, I have a client who uh, was in the, in the job search process. She decided to embrace this information interview process, connected with somebody. And then that person came back to her a couple months later and said, hey, we have a new position open at our company. I think you should apply to it. Mm. She didn't know that woman beforehand. She met her through information interviews. So she never would have found out about that open position without the information interview. Yeah, that's really. Let's not say no to people and let's ask them a question they can say yes to. Yeah, we want to help them help us. Yeah. Um, we, we want to reduce their anxiety. And just so you know, we think part of information interviews is you always ask people how you can help them. You're not just taking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a way to develop relationships with new neighbors and figure out how you're supposed to love them as you're asking them to help you. So I lied. I've been using scriptural references in this presentation today. So you can all chat me on that. I'm, I'll own it. Anyway, terrible introduction is fail number nine. And, you know, this is why it takes some prep to gain confidence and clarity with how to approach these things. Um, sometimes we find that, you know, because people, people come to us and they lead with what we call their sad story. Mm-hmm. You know, the set of circumstances that have forced them into this position where they're searching for work. And it, it is a sad story. Like, we're not trying to take that away or be uh, a flippant about that. And as, you know, as professionals who want to help people along, we're, we'll listen to that and hopefully with empathy and, and concern. And yet they're, they're focusing, so, to, like if we, and we've all had this experience, they focus so much on the negatives of the past that we never get to the future, um, which is another part of that bad introduction. I think a, a third kind of thread that can come out sometimes is that when somebody, they lead with what they want from a job, like, perks and they don't talk about um, what the hiring manager, what the company, the value that they can bring to somebody else. They're not thinking about what the company that might hire them needs. They're thinking about what they want and they lead with that. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't leave a great taste in your mouth. Ken, I think you've had, you've had some experience on that being on the receiver. Yeah. Well, you know, I was just thinking about what do we mean by introduction? We mean the first conversation with one of those information interview candidates. And I was one in a conversation like that. I remember this woman, Amy, who, you know, was in job transition. And I said, how can I help you? And she had a lot of angst about her previous job, telling me all about how, how toxic it was, how much she didn't like it. She didn't feel respected and honored at work and so on. And I felt empathy for that and I wanted to help, but there wasn't a lot I could do to help in that situation. I felt like, you know, she spent the whole interview in this place where she was stuck. And what she missed out on was an opportunity to get real clarity for me on what she was really going for and how I could help her and who I should introduce her to and what insight I could bring from my own experience. We never got to that. And so it felt like she wasn't really ready to be information interviewing. She was ready to process the past. Maybe she needed to get some psychotherapy, some help, some friends, some pastor, anything that would just kind of help her make that transition before she was ready to start interviewing people who could really help her move on to the future. Yeah. And you had a lot to offer because, you know, you have a business, so you are hiring people. You've got various networks that you circulate in locally and nationally, and you could have been a great resource. But it never got there. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. Um, well, it's not good. It's when it's fail number nine. But anyway, it's an example <laughs> of it. Fail number 10 is putting all your eggs in the recruiter basket. Um, and some of you have probably been approached by recruiters. Uh, you know, you made your last move or your last four moves because recruiters reached out to you. They had something better um, and you took it. And so you may tend to think that recruiters are there to help me find my next job. But that's actually not the way the recruiting industry works. Recruiters work for companies. They do not work for job seekers. Now, really, really, really nice recruiters will take your call uh, and they'll listen to you a little bit because they're always trying to expand their talent pool. Uh, but relying on recruiters to get you from where you are to where you need to be, it can be, can be a fail. Um, what we suggest with recruiters, and we, work, we actually partner with a number of recruiters and recruiting firms um, because we don't work for the company, they work for the company that's got an opening. We work for the potential candidate and we help the candidate get ready and communicate their value. So we're on the other side of the equation. And, you know, our recruiter friends tell us, well, if you can figure out, and this is a, this is desk research, you find out who the recruiters are in the industry that you're going after, and then you can target those and you can let them know that you might be a solution to them. You might be the, you might be their you may be able to fill their next position because that's really their problem. Their problem is they need to find somebody who's qualified for the specific searches that they're working on now. And um, so that's how the recruiting piece works. And um, what else do you, well, what else do you want to say about recruiters, Sarah? Well, I think recruiters are a great secondary strategy, but that's only after you've done your homework. That's not a primary strategy. And that's the trap. A lot of people fall into. We, we respect recruiters. We partner with them. In fact, on our um, our lunch series on Friday last week, we had two recruiters on. Uh, the challenge is if you're not high enough in the hierarchy or um, if you aren't um, meeting the needs for the specific job they're recruiting for at that moment, uh, it's out of sight, out of mind. And so uh, we need to remember that recruiters aren't the fairy, the job fairy, right? So they're not your your um, the fairy job mother either. So we need to not rely on recruiters. That's a secondary or supportive strategy. Great. All right, we've got two more fails, and uh, just if you have if you have questions, feel free to start chatting them in. Um, uh, but number eleven is we call it, you want it all, and you know we talked uh, last week about boundaries mm -hmm. uh, and limitations, and some of those are are really the legitimate and um, some of them may be a little bit too narrow, too limited. Um, and so sometimes it really is good to relocate, particularly if you are in a role that, and have, a, have credentials in a role that is in very, very low demand in one area, but is in really high demand in another. And you might, you just might really want to consider it um, and I say that I, you know, I had always had a mindset that you just find the place you're going to live and you stay there forever. Uh, Cause that's the way I was raised. And then after moving um, from a very, from one place to another, from one, one very, you know, the environments being very different, I realized that at least sometimes moving can be really, really helpful. Uh, it's a good spiritually and relationally and everything. So sometimes we put an unhelpful uh, delimiter on what's, what's really possible. I think, um, 
you know, there could be a whole list of things that fall under this you want it all category. Ken, give us some examples. Well, one example is something I remember Rose Wynn said. She's the director of the Faith and Work, a Nashville, Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. And she says, some see work as self-glorification and our sense of identity. I think that's tempting, right? Especially at, at job seeking time. You feel like I'm for sale. I need to promote myself, my personal brand, right? This is all about me. And you start to get, some people get a little too into that and they start to think, wow, I've got to really promote myself, sell myself, put myself out there. And they see that this is their big one opportunity in the next five years to really uh, change their life status and get a great job and maybe a great raise all at the same time. This is not a biblical perspective. Um, a much healthier perspective is to be humble and truthful. Humble meaning let someone else praise you and truthful meaning be clear about the value that you've provided, right? This is the kind of role I do well in. This is the kind of job I, I want and I succeed in. This is, and it aligns to my natural abilities and my skills. It's not something I'm making up. It's been scientifically proven that I'm wired this way. And if you haven't done that homework and that assessment work, you're just sort of making it up like, uh, this is kind of what I want. And um, you're left to kind of fill that void with a little bit too much self-glorification. So I think a better strategy is just be humble and truthful. Let them point out the opportunities that they see for someone like you. Be a much more fun person to hire. That's really, that's a really good point. And I think, um, you know, the other, the other piece of this one is that we're really leading with uh, really pretty much a self-centered mindset instead of a servant posture, you know, like I'm here to add value. I'm here to, to bring my talent. Like I give, I'm here to steward my talents in the service of others. Um, you know, the flourishing of my, my colleagues, our customers, our community, it, that's out the window and it's all about me. And that's, that's at a deeper level, maybe why this is a fail. The last fail is failing to prepare for an interview. It's winging it. And, um, you know, the, especially at the early stages of an interview process, uh, it's pretty predictable the kind of questions you're going to get. And so you don't prepare and they say, tell me about you. And you spend 15 minutes talking about, you know, your pets when you were a kid or I know you guys just say, well, well, I would never do that. But what happens when you're not prepared is to give long answers that really don't focus on what's coming. And you can go through the list. We, we provide one to all our clients of what you can expect and you can walk through it and you can be prepared to give two minute answers where there's a very clear, like, this is the answer. Or if they say like, what's one of your greatest weaknesses, you know, they're going to ask you that. And so you say, well, this is my weakness. And then you give a story about how that weakness has kind of shown itself in your work and what you've done to mitigate that weakness and you're prepared like, and you've got two or three of these in your pocket for all the major questions that they ask. It's, it's very, it's very easy to, to be ready. Thoughts on that guys. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to raise my hand and say, I've committed this fail before. Um, it, it was with a prospective client and I knew I was going to have sort of an interview situation but I really didn't take the time to prepare. And when I got there, I was, I was still fuddling with the technology and getting the camera and the mic. They weren't set up properly. She asked me some pretty obvious questions and I found myself meandering and wandering and not sure how to answer. And, you know, I feel like I can interview pretty well when I'm prepared, but for some reason, I just didn't take it seriously enough. 
Um, I've also been on the other side where I've interviewed people and I've asked them what I thought are like the obvious no brainer kinds of questions and just found them to be not ready to reveal anything about themselves, not really to show me what they've done, not really ready to give me a picture of what I'm buying here. I, I want to know if what I buy, if I say yes to this thing, I'm not going to regret it. What am I buying? What am I going to get? What should I expect? I'm just trying to feel like this is a safe choice. And if you're not helping me do that, it's going to be really hard to say yes to you on the, on the other end of that conversation. Yeah. I think that's really good. Yeah. It's really good. It's, 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 um, you know, it's tempting. So part of being prepared for an interview is knowing what questions you're going to ask, because you should ask questions. Part of it is having really clear answers to uh, the stock questions they're going to provide. And part of it is disciplining yourself to keep focusing on the idea that you can bring them a solution. And I, I really, actually, I think this, I, I shouldn't because our, we have so many friends in HR and so forth, but I think they do sometimes use trick questions to get you talking and they want to figure out, do you really have a long-term vision for this job and this company? Do you, are you, this is really what you're about? Or are you just trying to find a job? You know, are you just trying to, you just want a paycheck. They're, they're a, a skilled hiring manager is going to sniff that out. And so by being prepared and having like example after example of example, how you can deliver the kinds of things they're looking for as they fill this job, it's, it's going to go so much better. It's going to go so much better. So those are the 12 fails. Let's take some, uh, let's take some questions on those. I think we also have a poll that yep. uh, we want to give you a, a, some space to evaluate yourselves. Melissa, do we have that? Do you like, yes, would you like me to? Yeah, like let's put that up now. and uh, we'll also take questions. Or we'll actually turn it back to you, Melissa, sorry. Sure, oh no, great. Um, gosh, this is so helpful. I, am, I was taking notes and uh, you know, I don't think I'm gonna be looking for a job anytime soon, but I was like, these are the people I'm coming to <laughs> if I am. So many good resources and helpful. Um, yeah, information here. I think one great question that has come out, and I think it was one that um that kind of took me back, even as I, I wrote in the, the chat there, um, I, I haven't thought much about sort of the, the job search in community um, and, and what that that looks like or why that isn't even something we think about. So just, yeah, I would love to hear you talk a little bit more on suggestions for ways to involve our community while we're job searching. Uh, what could that look like? So I have a friend who loses his job every two years. And at first I felt sorry for him. And then I realized that it's all part of private equity plays and he does really well at the end of each assignment. So I have very little sympathy for him anymore. No, it, it, it really was, it was the kind of thing where it really was traumatic and because he would start to smell it going south and then he would get fired and then he'd have to go find a new job. And so what he did is he started to text four of us, his friends, and it wasn't like, you know, sometimes in a, in a small group, you'll share, I, I lost my job, pray for me, or my boss is a monster, pray for me kind of thing, which is good. But this was much, much more granular and it was much more play by play. And, it, and really it was, you know, it was, it, 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 was, it, it was in sync with the virtual digital world we live in. So he would text us, hey, I, I, you know, at every kind of critical juncture along the way, I think my boss is getting fired and I might get fired too. Like, and pray for me. And then he would just keep doing that along. And it would, it would go down to the valley with him. And we come back up when he started to get interviews and started to get offers. And we would just kind of walk with him through the whole process. And I felt like that was a great example of asking for help and being humble 
and he was the job seeker and he organized that community. Yeah. You guys want to add anything to that? Well, I would just say we, we're, we're a little embarrassed and we're a little reticent to share. We don't want to involve community. And what it's surfacing is you think you're your job. You think your identity is tied up in having a job and it's uncomfortable, I think, you know, for some people to admit that they're a job seeker, be in that kind of dependent place. But if you see job as part of God's calling, if you're really stewarding these resources, then, you know, if the king doesn't need you right now, then what can you be doing to get ready for your next assignment? And how can you prepare to be put back in when the time is right? It's a whole different kind of mindset, I think. And when you have that mindset, including others, it's a joy. Uh, I, I talked to a guy who made that shift. He's in our career navigator program just last night. He said, I used to dread this. I put it off for a year. I finally just started the program. And on the last day of the program, he said, I've never had so much fun in my life searching for a job. This has been just a delight. He's really leaned into his team. He's giving them prayer requests and updates every week. He's engaged in the process, doing lots of interviews, learning a ton. And his confidence has gone up. His, his competence, his awareness has gone up. He's communicating about himself really well. So I don't know. I just feel like it could be fun. Yeah. Well, and we want people to, um, to, to find this job that fits them. And sometimes... Uh, I had a client who in the process of job search got a promotion and that fit her better than the job she started with. And that didn't necessarily come from searching for other jobs, but going through the career navigator increased her confidence so much. She was prepared to answer questions. She knew her value. She was able to make the case um, and getting that conversation out with other people about her intention brought around this community for her that fed back to her. Uh, what she offered uh, to an organization. And so she, by bringing community into it, telling people about the job search process grew in her confidence and the organization she worked for honored that, saw that and promoted her. So she thought she had to leave her organization, but by going through our career navigator program, she actually found a better role within her current organization. Yeah. I think Alan's point is well taken um, in the chat where he says you there is a point where you can, especially if you're, you're are currently employed and you're looking for something uh, you need to exercise discretion yeah. about who you talk to that with, about that with, uh, we totally agree, Alan. Um, and I think that's, that's where having trusted friends um, where you can be honest and vulnerable and there's, there's no downside risk of them saying that to people they shouldn't is, is really a key. Yes. Um for navigating life period, but also navigating job search. So yeah, I think, I think that's right. And, you know, we often have clients who are, they, they're in a place, but they know they don't want to stay there. And we, we really work through the process of who they should talk to. And so it comes up in coaching. Like that's a coaching problem that we work through sometime to solve, which is who's really safe for me to talk to. Cause I want to get good information, but I also don't want to, I don't want this to, I want, I don't want to, I don't want this to kind of get out of control. And um, so that's a great point. It's a great point. We've got the results of the poll here, guys. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm looking at the poll results. It looks like lowballing your network or saying no for people. It's just, it's the same thing we're talking about leaning in to the fact that we we're not designed to, to fly solo here through job search. Yeah. And um, 
I see this a lot. There's certain personality types, I think, that are more prone to this than others. Oh, I don't want to bother them. Oh, oh, they're busy. Or, oh, they're not going to, they probably don't know the person I need or how to help me or whatever. And uh, what we're finding is when people get over that, they find a lot of great stuff out there. Oh, yeah, they really do. They really do. Good. I um, I was noting, I think this came up in the, the chat as well, and um, I'm not sure what the question is here exactly, but I, I thought it was interesting um, noting that there's there's maybe a separate place to process, uh, like you talked about the you know previous job experience, or maybe some sort of, I, I think a lot about the, you know, uh, wherever I go, uh, there I am. So it's not necessarily like you're going to switch jobs and suddenly, you know, all your problems are going to be solved. There probably is something going on maybe, or, or there could be, or there are some things to look internally. Um, but there's probably some community that you do that with. And then maybe, maybe in other places you don't. And so I don't know if it's, yeah, if you have thoughts on like thinking through kind of who, who you go to for, for which pieces of, of all of this. Yeah, I think, well, my mom's a psychotherapist. I know there's a psychotherapist in Sarah's family as well. Um, you know, that's a nice partnership because a lot of times they'll go to my mom for psychotherapy to process the pain or get in touch with the wounds or get some healing so that they're ready to move forward. She passes on the client to me when they're like, okay, now what do I do? I know I'm, I'm feeling better. I want to get something happening here. And that's where coaching takes over. And that's the difference between, you know, coaching and, and, you know, psychotherapy, both will deal with the present to some extent. Psychotherapy is a little bit more past oriented. Coaching is a little more future oriented. Where are our goals? Where are we going? How do we get there? Let's map a plan. Let's keep you accountable. That sort of thing. Great. That's really helpful to, yeah, think about those, those differences. I saw um, one other question that had come in. I think uh, maybe we can wrap up on, um, this goes back to just the resume. Um, I also, I guess I wondered if your, uh, your thoughts on using sites like LinkedIn or Indeed um, and, and sort of as you even, um, this, I'm combining two questions now, as you are trying to tailor a, a resume for a job, um, kind of what, what keywords maybe do you look for in job descriptions? Maybe say a little bit more if you could on the, the resume side or, or using um, some of those sites. Yeah. So the, one of the, the big things to know with those sites is that they're using artificial intelligence to read through and scan your resume. And that's why it is so important that you have a clean, simple resume template, right? Not necessarily something creative and fancy and artistic and graphic. That's not going to be easily read um, and scanned. You want a clean, simple resume template. Um, and you do want to look at the job postings that you're interested in and make sure you're picking up on some of those key language, those, those key requirements um, and experience terms that they're using. Make sure they're, they're also in your resume. And some of these places will have an analyzer or you can pay a feed for a membership where they will analyze your resume with the job posting you're going after and find the compatibility. Uh, so that's something that you can look for, um, a keyword um, analyzer for your resume, but um, there is a role for that. But what's better is if you're able to say to somebody in your network, hey, I'm looking at a job at this company. Who do you know who works there? Could you introduce me to them? I wanna let them know I'm applying, right? So anytime we can add the personal touch, it's so much more effective than just applying and letting artificial intelligence read your resume. 
Yeah, you want to use LinkedIn and indeed LinkedIn job postings as a way first to see what kind of roles are getting are being posted. So how much how much demand is there for that role? Mm-hmm. Two, what are the kind of what language do they use? What kind of qualifications? All those types of things. And then three, like if you can you check those boxes, then you think about like say, you just find people that are there, hopefully, or people who know people there to kind of help your resume get to the top of the pile. Um, and a, and a, a, I, I think we would probably suggest that there's you have a basic resume, just like Sarah said, that could go a lot of different directions. It's the foundation of your link, your LinkedIn profile, and then you, you you tweak it as you apply for very specific jobs. And I think we have we have a text analyzer in the in the Career Navigator, right, Ken? That mm-hmm. helps people see yeah. how much of a match there is between a job posting. Yeah. But you're going to get a lot more traction through your network than you are by spending tons of time. Um, you know, like kind of recoding your resume for every job that gets, that gets old. Oh, what we find is a lot of people will spend the majority of their job search time looking at job postings. We think you need to spend the majority of your time talking to people who are in the industry or in the kind of roles that you're interested in. Yeah, that's really good. Hi right, guys, this is so, so helpful. I just, I find myself thinking like what a gift, honestly, that you are to the body of Christ, even in helping to navigate these things. Cause uh, you know, th- these are, these aren't things that all, you know, all of us are dealing with every day, but boy, when we, when we need to think about a job search or a career or, or how we're um, listening to the Lord in this area of our life, um, we need, we need guides, <laughs> we need our community, we need the body of Christ. And so, I'm so thankful for each one of you and thankful for your time uh, this whole past month. Um, it's just, it's been such a gift and a blessing to us and, and our network. I know there are many folks who are not able to tune in live, but have been uh, watching on the replay. So glad that you guys are, are able to, to watch this as well. But I know, um, Sarah, I see you put some, some different things in the um, chat there the next uh, cohort in May and prices will go up in June. So jump on that if you're interested, um, as well as their 30 minute consultations. I would definitely want to keep recommending that um, as well. And I'll make sure when I send out an email um, to wrap up the series, I include some of those links too. So, um, so yeah, I think we will, we'll wrap up today. We'll wrap up this series, but um, Chip, Ken, Sarah, I, I can't thank you guys enough for, for being with us and um, just walking us through, uh, through these topics. So Thank you. And we're uh, yeah, glad to have you guys and, and glad for those of you who could tune in and be here. Uh, enjoy your afternoon and uh, hope to see you at our next uh, Faith and Work Chicago event. So great to be here. Everybody. Great to be with you all. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye.